Yeah. Okay. Um, welcome, okay. welcome to the first podcast. <laughs> Second attempt. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Take two. Take Ready, two. set, go. What were we talking about again? Let's just start from the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one, and go. Okay. After some audio technical difficulties, we are back for our second, I guess, second and a half attempt at starting this. So, it was more like our, our third attempt. Yes. So, after technical difficulties and then verbal difficulties, <laughs> yes. we, welcome everyone. We are here. Yes. Now, now we can start, and this is going to go smoothly from now on. <laughs> yes. And with no technical glitches, a perfectly clear line, no background noise, no <laughs> verbal stuttering. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm ready. There's no, better, there's no better intro. Okay, so let's dive into it, dude. I'm so keen for this session because I've been trying to, um, you know, I had the idea and mm-hmm. I thought like there's no better person than to call someone who's been doing this for a while. And so, yeah, so let me explain my situation at the moment. Um Awesome. I am, yeah, so I am currently employed full-time at a PR and media agency. We do a bunch of, like, article writing, social media, media, and just anything, you know, digital and, you know, marketing, which is nice. Um, I have a wonderful opportunity to work remotely from pretty much anywhere I want. Um, I do have, like, my office here set up at home. So what I've been doing lately, I have... Um, been exploring the idea of freelancing and kind of just dipping my toes in the freelancing world. I've um, gone onto a bunch of freelancing Facebook groups and LinkedIn and all that and kind of sussed out the different opportunities there. And there's actually quite a lot in Cape Town and Joburg um, and a lot of remote freelance working opportunities. And it's nice because it's pretty much all digital and remote. And, you know, when I realized that there's quite a lot of opportunities, I just you know, dove into it, I built myself a simple website and put it out there and started responding to different ads and, you know, and I've managed to pick up a bit of work, which is quite nice. So now that got me thinking, like, how do I develop this further and take it from just a freelancing kind of gig to a full-time business and agency? Like, what, when can I call myself a business rather than just a freelancer? And for for myself to be able to call it a business or an agency, like what is the first step that I need to take? Like, uh, you know, what is the first step? What it's, you know, what should I? What is the basic infrastructure that I need? And perhaps you could give me a bit of insight to that, dude. Awesome, that's so exciting. Um, and well done for the work you've done so far. That's really, really, really cool. <laughs> Okay, so it's a great question. So there's three tiers, right? You're moving from a full-time job into a freelancing role in a freelancing capacity and then from a freelancing capacity into an agency or owning a business. So let's look at the main differences between those. Obviously, so in your full-time role now, right now, you're, you are doing some remote work, which was awesome and really, really great because it allows lots of free time, which we're going to be needing to use wisely, which we'll talk about soon. So from that in a free, in the, even though you're working remotely, what you'll be doing and what you'll be working towards is, is very much towards the company's vision, right? Which is often, as most remote workers or full-time employees, not really your vision or where you're working towards. So the freelancing is a really great step to take. Many people talk about um, 
they say burning the ships at the shore and going from full-time work into starting their own business. And you were mentioning earlier that um, it's something that before you've experienced trying to do lots of different things which didn't really work. And now you've just kind of dived in, but on a freelancing basis, instead of starting a whole whole business by yourself, you're testing the waters and seeing what it's like in the freelancing world, which is a great step to take towards working to creating your own business and agency. So in terms of how do you make this move towards it, it's really, really great because so the first basic step is what you've already done. Right, so you started testing the waters and you created your own um, minimal basis website for people to be able to see your work or to know something about you and you, gra- you created some um, status for yourself and something for people to learn more about you, which is really Just important. Just like one page. <laughs> that's great and that's perfect, that's perfect. And there's so many great business courses right now which are teaching exactly this, that the time invested in creating those extra assets are absolutely not worth it. And time would be so much better invested talking to people and finding people. Um, So that's a really, really great step that you've done. So it's obviously a massive question. How do you move from this freelancing towards agency? And what is the difference between having a freelance basis and the business? So let's kind of define what it would mean if you have a business right now. So the business is when there is an object, the problem that you are trying to solve and you're solving it for other people, and you can provide that on a somewhat consistent basis. Okay, so at the point in which, if you're freelancing now, other people are solving problems, and you are helping them solve their problems. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So if you, for example... mm -hmm. Other agencies. Yes, so could you give us an example of one small freelancing job, anything at all that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, so like there's a, a marketing agency that um, contacted me and they asked me to write a, a specialized article for them for one of their clients. Great, great, awesome. And so you can see there that being in the position of a freelancer, you are somewhat, and many people get confused about this and they think, they ask like, am I, as a freelancer, am I my own business person? Am I an entrepreneur? And it's kind of fuzzy, but we can see now that working full-time, you're working for another company, you are spending all of your time helping one company solve their mission and their vision, okay? So they largely have a say over how you spend your time. In freelancing, it's not that much different It's just that you will be working with many, usually many different people. So most freelancers have different projects. So many people feel much more entrepreneurial being a freelancer and they feel like they have, um, um, they enjoy their time a lot more. And usually it's because people who are freelancers need to take risks to be in that field. So full-time job provides the most security. Freelancing provides less security, but it provides some security. So you often find lots of intrapreneurs in freelancing roles. And to define quickly, an intrapreneur is someone who enjoys solving novel problems. And ma- many of the times, most, the large majority of intrapreneurs in the world are people who very much enjoy solving multiple problems. So this is where freelancers start to kind of get hooked when they find their first freelancing job and maybe something you experience as well is that as soon as you find one and then you start helping other people, you find that you're involved in helping many different problems, which is really exciting compared to working for one company who continues to push you in their vision. So freelancing can get really exciting 
from that perspective. But the leap from freelancing to owning your own business, and in your case, which we're going to talk about in detail this time and hopefully next time, is how do you build that into an agency and what would that look like being your agency and your yeah. business? The biggest problem, the biggest difference is right now, you are letting people hire your skills to solve the problems that they want to solve. Just yes. like when you gave that. And so there's many people who stay as freelancers, sometimes for their entire lives. What happens many of the time is they align with people who want them to do work, solving problems that they also want solved. So that happens a lot of the time. When let's say you get contracted for a company who yeah. wants you to write and do research and do PR on a, an exact thing that you want to solve, a problem that you feel like this is something very important for the world and I want to do this. That's often the case where people are very comfortable to stay as freelancers for a very, very long time, especially with similar yeah. clients. Yeah. And does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's working towards it. So the jump from freelance to business owner and to for you for having an agency would mean that from instead of hiring out your skills to solve other pro problems that other people are aiming for, whether you align with them or not, you start to identify problems in the market that you believe you can solve better than other people in your current market. And that's the point. And that kind of thinking is what changes. So right now, when people are looking for writers to write something specific and you can offer those skills, being, having an agency would mean that you see in your field something that you can provide for other people. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So if we're talking about what the next steps are, Let's talk about um, if you have first, if you have any idea of what kind of agency or what kind of work you would do um, if you owned your own business, what, what do you think that would be? So, yeah, so it would be um, a PR med med digital media agency specifically focused on the environmental and tourism sector. Um, yeah, tourism and hospitality sector, because that's, you know, that's where I have experience and that's like my qualifications. So, you know, as for now, it's, it's, um, that's the idea. But with that being said, a lot of the freelancing gigs that I've had so far, have kind of just been so diverse in terms of what sort of clients I'm working for. <laughs> so, and, you know, I think, you know, it's, to specifically reach out to that market, like the environmental and tourism sector, gotcha. like, you know, I think that I'll probably have to, there's a very specific way I would have to market myself to reach, to, you know, hit that market rather than looking for different like gigs here and there. Um, yeah. So, okay. So yeah, let's look at it first. Can you think of any examples in the field you would like to have an agency or business? Can you think of any business or agencies currently doing that, currently doing what you would like to be doing? There is no specific environmental and tourism PR agency that I'm aware of. <laughs> okay. So it's quite a niche thing. Or okay. like in Cape Town, that is. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so it's a very niche thing, especially when like PR and marketing is obviously not niche. It's a very broad thing. But like if you want to specifically focus on environmental and tourism, even though you do get PR agencies that do will do that, will take that on. But like a PR agency and marketing agency that just focuses on that and nothing else, 
I, ha- I haven't. I'm not aware of anything like that, to be honest. Amazing. Could be on. Okay. And so, what can you give me an example of what type of work you would do? So, this company that doesn't exist yet, which is obviously an amazing sign. Um, when we get on to talking about need discovery and market research, it's all about are you solving. Remember, a successful entrepreneur solves a novel problem, meaning they either approach an existing problem um, that has an existing solution in a new way, or they solve a problem that no one solved before. So that's a really good thing to feel like, to see that it's an unsaturated market. So now we can start identifying why that is. So can you give me an example? Let's imagine you are an agency right now. What what would example of one small project be, and who would your client be, and why would they hire you? And not as so, in so, not sorry, just to elaborate. Not why would they hire you? Like why is Chris Bischoff the one who could do this? Just why would they be looking for that specific company to solve that problem? Um, yeah. So what? So just to like take a step back and with my qualification. So I it's quite interesting. Like the whole my me being in the media and PR space is that's not what I studied quite quite it's quite funny I mean I studied environmental science and then went on to a bunch of communication based roles and identified that there was like a need there so to like to lead on to your question is that I realized there's quite a big need when there's like a whole lot of environmental um companies where there is work that is very scientific and technical and there's a lot of complicated le- like law and legislation and you know it's like it's a lot to communicate to an audience who like you know who's normally like the like a community or like any general members of the public that do not have like that scientific knowledge or technical environmental knowledge you know you like you meant to take like this highly technical content and um you know, disseminate in a way or um, distribute it in a way or tell the story in a way that's easily understood and digestible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these guys that are sitting in like these highly specialized roles do struggle to tell a story that can be digestible to like your know, average person. Um, so that's like the skill of the PR or specialized environmental PR agencies to be able to understand that technical and scientific content dial it down and tell a very compelling story that still gets all the key messages across, but then it can also be consumed by anyone from the general public. So it's a very specialized thing. Like it's, you need to be able to understand the technical and scientific content and write a very good story and understand the most appropriate channels of communication to send out and disseminate a story like that. So that's just kind of like, you know, the, yeah so that's i mean does that answer your question that's yeah yeah that's really interesting and really helpful so right now what is the best next thing that people are getting so is it that these kind of companies these environmental companies are using pr and social media agencies um and the social media agencies aren't doing a very good job or what is it what's the gap that you can see this is actually quite yeah so this is actually quite funny so this is where my free this is where my freelancing work comes in because some of the agencies (coughs) who you know have clients you know environmental clients they don't these pr agencies don't necessarily understand you know the environmental content so they've hired me as the environmental writer as the freelancer to write the article because they don't understand it themselves and this is why 
I've identified this need through freelancing, which is quite interesting. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. okay. So where you see, where you see the people who are hiring you right now, do you feel like it's exactly this that you want to turn into your agency? Yeah. Like, so that's, okay. I mean, yeah, exactly. So it's, and I've come across it a few times where like, you know, an agency doesn't quite understand the content and it's very difficult to write a story when you don't understand what you're writing about. Okay. So that's well, great. And so the point of where you are as a freelancer now, it depends obviously on the scale of what you would want to your agency to be and how big you would want your business to be or how you would imagine it. But the main difference will be right now, let's say this company the difference between freelancer and agency again. So let's say a company post online looking for a freelancer or a remote worker to write this article that you've written, okay? And then you apply yeah. for it and then they accept you. So the difference would be in that they are currently seeking out someone to solve that and they already have an idea of how to solve it. So they want a writer to come and do that. An agency would be that you have a business model in which you can consistently bring in new clients based on a solution that you provide. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. instead of Chris Bishop, the freelancer, it would be whatever name of the company may be. And then that name of the company would have selections and products for what they do or different packages, just like the PR and social media company you work for right now. Yeah. And you would have packages for to who solve that kind of problem. So, and it's is much more gray area than I'm saying it now. And I know that especially people listening could know that with freelancer, there are so many differences, especially when we're talking about freelancer that moves into the world of consulting. But this is really helpful, I think, just moving forward and taking the next step in your exact situation. So can you imagine if you had to make an advert for your product or service that your business would offer, what would you say? And you could maybe to make it easier, you could imagine your current <laughs> clients. What would you be offering them? And you've you've used a lot of the words now, and you don't act, you don't have to at all get this this right in inverted commas. This is more just planting the seed to what needs to be uh, you need to start thinking about in order to move from the freelancing to creating your own business. Yeah. So what would the what would the advert say? The big billboard, him. Um, Correct. Yeah. So and in other words, we're saying. How would you explain the solution that you are providing? And it's not about getting the words right, just the basic concept. Yeah, so it's like a digital marketing agency focused on the environmental and tourism sector. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, that's great. And so, and if you think about, okay, so we're going on to the, we're coming up now to one of the first main concepts of starting a business, which is all about your niche and your niche's pain. Okay, those two things are the okay. most important things to start in a business, especially when we're talking about a small small business, especially in a sector like yours. So firstly, the niche. So the niche is the select people inside of your target market who you can relate to most. So the most specific people who you can relate to about your service. So I think you said it already. So what would your niche be? Who would your market be? The people who would be most interested in what you have to offer? All the different environmental and conservation-based agencies okay, in Cape Town. Okay, great. There's a lot of Awesome. And is there a, um, just a probe? It doesn't have to be because that's already enough as a niche of a niche. But are there 
are there many differences in the sizes of these agencies? Are there some big ones, some small ones, some multinational, some local? How does well, that how does that field look? There's a difference between like the public and private sector when you're speaking about like the you know um, main like public um, you know organizations or like the government organizations that are responsible for like you know environmental conservation and you know the national parks of South Africa that those are really big organizations and then like the smaller sort of environmental you know impact assessment agencies um they they kind of range in size um i mean you do get some smaller agencies but it's really it's hard to kind of say that this is like the average size of it because i think you know gotcha. there are obviously bigger ones and like smaller ones I've got you. And so do you imagine working for, or let's rather use examples, uh, real examples, who have you worked for so far? So this, for example, the people you're freelancing for, who, which kind of companies are they? Definitely the smaller sort of agencies, because I think like the, the bigger or the smaller um, environmental consultant, like consultancies, um, you know, like the bigger ones, they normally have like their internal PR team or marketing team that will happily take on board their own communication work. But like the smaller, like um, environmental consultancies, they are the ones that are more likely to outsource their uh, marketing needs. Okay. <clears throat> I'm writing this down because this is really, really hitting on the money. <laughs> I'm so glad. Okay, so that's perfect. So what's happening now is we're starting to understand the people who you're going to speaking, be speaking to. Okay. And we want to understand your market and your niche as best as possible. So if we say we've got small environmental agencies, okay, and you've identified that they need to outsource it, they usually don't have a, a team inside, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So who are they currently using? Uh, probably other PR agencies. So it, it's, I think it's dependent, you know, like if they do, I know some environmental agencies, they will kind of just incorporate any sort of marketing requirements in a requirement of another role. So if you, for example, are, um, you know, like a water specialist, you know, there will be an aspect of your, job specs that will include like social media campaign work or something like so it's absorbed into like other roles so that's like one thing that i've seen um and then then they'll use other pr agencies and this is where like where the shortfall fall is sometimes where the pr agency doesn't necessarily understand the content of the work and that's when you know that's the cause of all you know, the consequence of that is when they reach out to me the freelance pr agency eventually re reaches out to me the being freelancer with the, you know, the environmental knowledge. So the, yeah, those are the two main things that I've noticed um, where like the communication and marketing work is absorbed into other roles or it's just outsourced to okay. other agencies. Awesome. And that's great, great, great work that you have this information. So we're starting to build a picture of what the current, what's currently happening in the market. And as you're starting to think about your business and moving from freelancer to business, this is your realm right? This is the whole scenery that you need to start understanding because one of the biggest shifts that's going to happen from freelancing to owning business is freelancing. You're going to be looking for opportunities to come up, but when you're a business owner, you are going to be knocking on people's doors to offer them this opportunity. 
And people could argue wow. that you definitely can do that as a freelancer. But if people on a freelancing capacity, if you're offering them help for whatever they need help on, it's very, very different to you saying, hello, niche. I understand the problems you're currently <laughs> going through. I understand how you're currently trying to solve the problem. And I need to educate you that how you're currently trying to solve it is not good. And I can provide you a far better way to solve this problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. And I've thought that so much. So when I've like, for example, like when I've heard of these agencies, these environment, these people that are doing the marketing and communication work that they don't really know exactly or the best way to do it. And it's taking time away from what they specialize in. I'm thinking like, why don't you just outsource that? and focus on what you can do and what you're good at. Okay, amazing. And we talked about what would your advert be, and now you are like coming really, <laughs> really close to the money. This is what your marketing is going to be. Why yeah. don't you focus on X, Y, Z, when you could be focusing on X and letting someone else take care of Z? Yeah, exactly. So this is where you can move towards. Okay, so in terms of going back again to you're in a freelancing position now and you want to move into a company and obviously your agency is going to start with just one person, with just you. And the moment you know at which you are becoming a business is not the moment you register as a business, not the moment you register your tax or you get an accountant. It's the moment in which you offer your services to solve their problem in a novel way and they accept. Once oh, nice. they've done that, that's what you call a proof of concept. You have proof that a solution that you believe people will pay for at the moment they do that and accept that and pay for it, that's the moment that you know. And where I am currently in Italy and many countries in the, around the world, but you'll have to research for South Africa, there is a certain amount of money that you can make without having to register a business. So you can absolutely receive yeah. a certain amount of money. So this, many people have a very false conception of setting up their business and, and everything like that and incorporating their entire business before doing this. No, you can receive payment before doing that. And it's far, far, far better. As we'll talk about um, minimum viable products and setting this up, the first thing yeah. you want to do yeah. is see, get proof of concept. See that people actually want to receive a business. Okay, so... Now is the point, and this is awesome because you're moving really, really, really quickly. Uh, it's so great that you've, <laughs> that, you've provided, that you've had so much thought because usually on these small things, we're still, usually niche is still a lot of work. Now where yeah. we are is we've got this picture so far. We have your niche called the small environmental agencies, okay? Really, really important because when you talk about the services you offer, the closer you can resonate with them and your market, the quicker they are going to listen to you and the more they're going to listen to you. So if you yeah. say we are a multinational or whatever, the small ones won't listen to you. And likewise, if you say a small one, then they are much more inclined to feel like you are good at solving their exact problem. Really, yeah. really, really important. Okay, so we have your niche, small uh, environmental agencies. Now we know what their current situation is. They're currently either using in-house, where there's a bit of um, people doing their current job. Uh, well, in-house, they have like roles um, creep, like you said, or they have yeah. external and they're going through PR agencies. Okay, so now we need to see at which point we insert ourselves into this. So if they're doing it in-house, you can imagine that they're saving money. Okay. So they are saving money when they do it in-house, and that's the biggest reason why they're doing it. When they do it externally, they're going to be spending money. Okay, so now we have to understand much more about what's happening. So we talk, I was leading to this before saying we need to identify two things, our niche 
and then the pain that they're experiencing. So the next most important thing and the most important thing for your business is going to be, is this pain big enough that they will pay for my solution? And that's critical, 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 critical. And when you talked about your business experience before, and when I was talking about now about people spend more time um, setting up their business and setting up their fancy websites and everything like that, the reason why that is the most inefficient way to do it is because at some point you are going to have to find out if their pain is enough for them to want to pay for the solution. And the yeah. best time to possibly do that is soon as possible. Any yeah. amount of time waiting is wasted. And so this is one of the biggest thing entrepreneurs, especially early entrepreneurs struggle with. The biggest thing is this. If you are solving a big enough problem, they will not care how fancy you are. They will not care what experience <laughs> you have. They will not care what testimonials and examples you can give. If the problem you are solving is a big enough pain for them. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. Awesome. And so that's why it's the most important thing by a mile. So in your situation, what does that mean? It means we have to start finding out, is this a massive problem? Because you have a hypothesis and every business begins with a hypothesis on, I think business owners or I think small environmental agencies will pay to have an external business who are experts at PR and social media, but also have the expertise to properly relate and communicate that information. I think businesses will pay for this. Now we have to find out if that's true. And it's extremely important. So we have two situations, one where they're currently using in-house and two where they're currently using external. So the first one, so this could, we, we first need to know if these are different. So let's take, for example, the people who hired you as a freelancer. So we yeah. could say they are looking externally to solve this problem, right? Yeah. So what does it cost them and what is the, the pain they experience if they, and you, this is a, a hard part because we have to think honestly about even if something's important for us, is it actually as important as we think for other people? So what is the, what is the cost that they pay and what is the pain they experience if they outsource to someone who doesn't do this as well as you know it should be done? Sure. Um, like in terms of the cost, you actually want to know like the average like cost of a retainer. No, for now, just like the connection. metaphorical and theoretical um, what pain they experience. And then we're going to get to the point in what, how much it actually costs them. But for now, just in theory. Yeah. Do you know the one thing like when, when a when you are approached by a PR agency, they're, they're very good at like obviously being communicators. They're very good at selling at what they do. So the thing with that is that they will sell a very high expectation to the client, to the environmental agency. And so what will normally happen, the environmental dude from the environmental agency will go, oh, that's amazing. This speaks exactly towards our requirements of communicating, for, for example, this specific project, you know. Um, so that's the one thing is like, you know, a PR agency is very good at selling or pitching a high expectation to someone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then there's always seems to be a bit of a shortfall when they get like a project brief and it's very technical. It's normally, you normally get like these 
when you speak about like the typical type of work at an environmental agency, you're dealing with massive environmental impact documents, impact assessment documents, which can be over 100 pages at a time and multiple different documents. It's content that can make you faint. It's it's <laughs> a lot and it's very technical. And I can only imagine like the look on a marketer's or PI agency, someone from the PI agency, like their face when they get something like that. I've literally received one of my old clients and luckily that I luckily I understood the content that gave me a concept document for some renewable energy plant and it was 60 pages and he asked me to write a press release and he, he said like it needs to contain all the important information wow. that was my brief and I had to like nitpick like information bits of information throughout a 60 page document and it took me ages but I thought like if I didn't have the content and this was just a normal, um, you know, person from a you know, PR agency that someone who studied marketing or journalism, they would stand no chance hmm. at writing a, a remotely or any sort of like valuable press release. So that's the thing, like it's the lack of knowledge. Like if you specifically look at the relationship between the environmental agency and the PR agency, there is a bit of like a shortfall gap in knowledge there that you know, someone from the PO agency should should be required or should have in order to be able to tell the story. And normally they don't. Okay, great. Okay. So on that, now we need to face, so this is important to recognize that you realize this stuff, but in order for you to actually have a business, in order for you to actually succeed with an agency, we have to know that the people who are paying for these services agree with you, that they see the pain that you see and that they are experiencing this. Uh, for an example, um, we're going to find out and I'm going to dig deeper now to find out, do they, do the business also think like, oh, this is so, this is so bad. We've lost a certain XYZ horn. Oh, I'm just going to close the window while there's a car <laughs> horn going off. <laughs> so we need to identify is this a pain for them or is this one in a million other things that they are worrying about right now? Okay, and that's very, very important for you to build your business on. So you've identified this gap between the environmental company, what they want, and between what the PR can actually deliver, okay? And this is a classic in all service industries. You see this when what's happening is there's an oversell and under-deliver, right? So there's mm -hmm. a company who's very good at selling something, but when the delivery comes through and the deliverables are um, submitted, it's not really what the company expected, the original company. So the first question is, when they, are these companies satisfied, these environmental companies, are they satisfied with the, the work that they're getting from these PR and social media agencies, if you know? Um, it's, yeah, it's, I've had cases where, I, you know, I've seen agencies and clients been very unsatisfied and like I've had to step in and rewrite things from scratch. And, um, you know, so I know that I definitely know that there has been a shortfall. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what, what is the goal? When these environmental agencies so, approach a PR, what do they actually want to achieve with this whole project? So, th so there's two there's two things, two main things that like requirements that I've noticed. So, there, when we speak about like the typical work that an, an environmental environmental agency or consultancy will do, is they will either conduct an environmental impact assessment process. So, so when there's any sort of new development that has the potential to pose a threat to the environment, 
there is a, a part of that process or that assessment is a, a consultation with the public. And normally because there is a threat opposed to the environment, the public are not normally very happy about the development. So there has to be some sort of communication to to the public, you know, about the project, the technicalities, the you know, the risk mitigation, the benefits. Um, so there's that it's part of the standardized uh, regulatory process, EIA process, environmental impact assessment process, is communication to the public, it's just, you know, public participation, that's what it's called. And then it's just to market the, the, the environmental agency itself, you know, like they are, you know, when you speak to an environmental specialist, or if you know that, like, you know, the typical type of qualified person there, they are environmental and technical specialists, they're not marketers, they're not communicators. They will happily do, you know, the technical assessment type of work. But when it comes to writing a press release or doing social media, it's like, no, thank you. We don't want to do this. This is not our area. This is not our focus area. So those are the two main requirements. Okay. And so in terms of them experiencing major pains, are there any, like if they send this out to a company, a PR company, and the PR company doesn't do a great job, what is the ripple effect? Is there any actual negative backlash as a result? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's they, they outs the, the thing when they outsource that type of work to a PR agency that doesn't quite understand the content, it's the only benefit that that has is they that they take that work off their hand, but the quality of the work it's still coming from someone that doesn't understand the content, um, and so it's like it's it's stuff. It's there's no it's if if you had to outsource it to an environmental PR agency, there would be someone that can take this story and tell it in a compelling way while keeping all the key messages there. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just think that, you know, when, when there is environmental content or a story that needs to be told, it's, it needs to be original and fresh and, and, you know, I always find that that lacks when it's told by someone from a PR agency that doesn't necessarily have the environmental background. Got you. Okay. And so if you were to provide this story that's, um, and provide this package that is told correctly, it's original and fresh, what is this company going to gain instead of it being the other way around, instead of it being um, boring or not portrayed in a, in a correct or in a fresh, original way, what is the advantage that they will get because of this? Sure, that's it. So I suppose like the, in, I suppose if we had to speak to like the, you know, the public participation and EIA process, that that story gets through to people and people understand it and they go, oh, okay, this, this project actually will work for us. It's not so bad because the thing is, a lot of the projects that I've worked that are part of the EIA phase or the you know the impact assessment phase, they actually do have a great benefits you know towards the environment for some like renewable energy project. But because the public don't know about it and what they don't know, they don't like. They obviously question. So if it gets told. 
And the thing is, if the if there's mass massive public, if there's a massive public outcry about something, you know that application when it's submitted to government for to be approved, and the government sees that, no, sorry, your community members are going absolutely nuts here. This is a no go. They will deny the approval, or I mean, they will deny the application. So, by telling a story or t getting the messages across to the public and getting them on board, there's more chances of an application getting approved and the development going ahead. So that's one thing. That's one benefit of good communication. <coughs> um, mm -hmm. And then I just think in terms of marketing the agency, a lot of the services are also technical and it's difficult to market it because because it is so technical. So, you know, like I often read, um, you know, these stories or like media releases or articles. It's obviously country a PR agency. It's about a specific environmental agency. And I'm like, wow, that is a very watered down or, you know, light version of what, you know, of the story. And like, I know there's a lot more behind it. So, it just seems like someone wrote it from a standard PR agency wrote this. So in the end, it's just, it, you know, the benefit is in terms of marketing themselves, it's, you get like a lot more of like a rich and compelling story coming through. And I suppose that you are reaching, I think the benefit of that is you reaching the audience that you need to reach. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> So that's great. So right now, um, I was writing down some things where you're talking, and we've got. So what the questions I'm asking you are trying to identify, even before we've even begun this thing, what are our best avenues for success? Okay. So what is the best possible chance that you have in actually doing this thing? Because there are countless small businesses that begin and agencies and entrepreneurs who begin yeah. things that fail within the first <coughs> second third, fourth, and fifth year, and we know we all know the stats, and like 80% of small businesses fail within one to five years. So looking at that, the most important thing and the most the biggest thing I've learned from coaching entrepreneurs and um, working with small business owners is that the biggest thing that they need to do immediately is separate their own desire and as an entrepreneur, your own desire and what you think is important, separate that and actually look at the market and find out what is actually important. Okay. So yeah. right now, we've got this niche of these small environmental agencies. And so you've outlined three things which are really, really good, which are really compelling and is a hypothesis we, which we can begin testing. The first one is, so environmental, we, we believe that if an environmental agency really cares about and really wants to invest in good, correct communication, this might be a potential customer for you, okay? Yeah. The second okay. one is if an environmental agency cannot risk it not being done well, like you were talking about the public interest, if they cannot risk that being done badly or not being able to clearly um, communicate what's happening and communicate what's happening in a compelling way to educate the people in order to help them vote for a bill or do something or do some project, then that's another potential client. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, and the third one is branding and marketing. So um, it sounds like what you're saying is any experts reading that, like yourself, will see right through it, okay? And that is, can yep. be potentially a branding and marketing problem. So we start to get this idea of the kind of small businesses or small environmental agencies that you will target as your potential customer. So 
it's obviously, and this is where people get very, very confused, especially when there's a service industry. If you are selling digital marketing, you can tell people exactly what kind of statistics to expect. So if you say, I'm a digital marketer for small environmental agencies, and I will help you get uh, 100,000 more followers or 100,000 likes on your campaign, or I will get you um, investors to invest in you. You can use all of these metrics. But when it comes to something like you're doing in PR, um, I know there's so much that you can measure, but the companies aren't exactly looking for that when they're using PR agencies, right? It's all of this slightly more yeah. wavy stuff. And so what you need to do, because that will drive you crazy as a business owner, because it completely depends on the situation, the financial situation of the company, if they can use you, because right now it looks like a luxury. So if you are just a luxury for people, so you can help them do something that they could already do a little bit better, that's a very shaky business model. That's not a good business model yeah. at all. What you yeah. need if you want consistent business is you need to offer a solution for something that people cannot take the risk on. So this is what I'm looking for. And in these three, we've really identified three. So now the next step is to go and identify and to experiment and explore whether this is something that people actually want. So are there agencies that believe in good communication so much that they would be willing to pay for it? Are there agencies who cannot, absolutely cannot take the risk of it not being done well for public interest and everything else? And then are there agencies yeah. are, who really care about the branding and marketing they have? Okay, so immediately the first, the best target for us to go for is people who are already paying for PR agencies, right? Yeah, yeah. Because the people who are doing it internally, it's especially at this time where it's quite premature, we don't really understand our market, we don't really understand how we're solving the problem. For them, it's going to take a lot of convincing, at least at the beginning, because they're already doing something for much cheaper. But people who are outsourcing yeah. this already realize the need to outsource it, okay? So they realize the need for professionals. So if, you were to, if we were to say, in two weeks' time, you are going to offer some kind of package for people to, for this. You're going to offer a company, uh, you're going to message them over LinkedIn or something and say, hello, I noticed you this and I read your article, a few of your articles, which I, which I really enjoyed, but I feel like it's um, something's happening which I've seen before or I've seen in lots of other industries yeah. where people are using <laughs> PR agencies which aren't really telling the story. Um, <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay, so you, you're I mean, inserting... I'm literally, like, I've read, like, articles like that. I'm like, I need to know who wrote this. This is, like, it's... Yeah. So that's great. So now what you can do is you can <clears throat> use that just as evidence to show that you know what you're talking about, and then you can invite them to a conversation. That's it. Invite them to have a conversation about what they are doing. So the purpose of having that conversation and this gets onto a need discovery conversation is so massive because it's your first time you can actually start talking to businesses about this and then all of these questions that I'm asking you we can find out from them as in how much do they value this do they really want this do they how much do they care about someone doing good communication over someone just doing an average job okay yeah so if we imagine that you did this package would you imagine currently pricing yourself where current PR firms are or less or more than? Probably more because like how I would do that is, you know, like I've always, I mean, I have pitched this to people. I go like, I'm not just another PR person. I'm also an environmental specialist. So you're kind of paying for both. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Okay, awesome. And so you can tell already in that answer that it is so vital that this is what we're focusing on first, that we're focusing on finding people who really have a need for this. And I don't know the answer. And until you start talking to people, you won't know either, which is the really, really exciting part. But in terms of the beginning of this conversation, when you're saying, what are the next, the, the first steps to take from moving from freelancer to business? This is exactly the first step to take. So we've done all this, um, we've kind of taken a brain dump of what you already understand, which has been awesome. Oh. You understand far more than most people um, at this early stage, which is great. So now what we can do is start testing these hypotheses. So in terms of, and this is obviously one of the most difficult things that people struggle with, because from this point, what people usually feel, and entrepreneurs usually feel, is, okay, I have an idea that might be cool, and naturally, we get far more excited about our own ideas than other people might, okay? So we think like, oh, I've got this idea, and this is, could be so cool, and there's so much value, and there's so much potential value for other people. And then what they do is they go into a hibernation phrase where they build their website, they build everything, they think about everything for a very, very, very long time. And we spoke about at the beginning how, and we looked at the reasoning for why that is not what we must do, why that is the exact opposite of what we must do, because we need to understand way before you've even had your first customer, if people really see this as a problem. Because right now, you are convinced that it's a problem. But we have no idea until we speak to them. And most businesses fail because of this exact thing that we're talking about. Most businesses fail because they go in knowing in their heart and knowing with every ounce of their being that this adds so much value. But the fact was it added value to what they perceived, but it did not add value to what another business owner perceived. So it's so important that right now we go and find out and you go and find out way before you even think about starting a business, way before you even think about starting selling a product is can you have one conversation with one other, with someone involved, either a decision maker or the founder or owner would be great, a small environmental agency. Can you have a conversation with them and ask them a bunch of questions about what they are currently going through? And if they currently see this as a problem, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. And so obviously there are so many different stages of what information you can have prepared. Okay. And I know a lot of really, some of my mentors, even in business, a lot of great business people would say like, just, just do not remove any pressure from yourself to have to sell. So don't even think about what cost and what pricing and things you would offer to this person. And this is a beautiful, beautiful thing because what we're talking about at the very beginning about when it comes to websites and things, that if you are solving a real problem, they do not care. They don't care if you have 10 years experience or one month experience, if you can actually solve a problem. And a good analogy is often like a doctor. So if you're, yeah. if you're on the street and uh, you slip and you break something or you cut something or God forbid you, you cut off your finger and you're holding your finger in your other hand and there's no finger and someone, you're with a friend and they shout, someone, is anyone a doctor? And the man steps up and says, I am a doctor. 
at that point, you are not going to ask for their qualifications. You're not going to ask if they've done the surgery before. You're not going to ask if they've done the, the appropriate prep. You're going to say, stitch back my finger, please, as yeah. soon as possible. Exactly. And this is the exact yeah. concept, okay, to some degree. Obviously, this is, an, this is an extreme exaggeration. Pardon me? And you find out he's a dentist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this often, often happens. And lots of great businesses started by people accidentally saying like, yes, I think I can help you with that. I think I can provide some value. Now, when this is so important, having this conversation without anything prepared, because if you start talking to one, you are going to be much more relaxed because you're not selling anything. You are literally just having a conversation. And two... If through this conversation, you exactly how you've been talking to me now about what you think about this industry and what you think it needs and the gap you've seen and the experience you have, which you can absolutely always mention, if you have experience that will help you gain clout, there's no reason not to mention that, that if at that point they feel like there's a lot of value, they're not going to say, okay, Chris, I really like what you've been saying. Send me your email, send me your website now. And if it compels me in this moment, I'm going to buy or I'm not going to buy anything. I don't want to talk to you again. They're not going to do that because the reality yeah. of business and the reality of real quality business, especially when we're talking about now, which I should have outlined in the beginning, I think, is that we're talking about service industry. So these are not physical products. These are yeah, services. Yeah. So in the service industry, it is just two people or many people talking about stuff and then coming up with solutions and moving forward as much as you can. So when you're talking to this person, if they're interested, they are going to say, I'm interested. I would like to do this. Um, how can I work more with you? Or how can we follow this up? And all you need to do is provide your email address or tell them, let me take your email address and I will send you something in the next week. Well, I'll send you something in the next two weeks. This is the best thing ever because then once you put down the phone, you're going to be so much more efficient than you've ever been at creating a proposal, yeah. creating a website or whatever it is you want to create for these people. But it needs to be done then after you have proof of concept, after someone has said, oh, this is interesting. I think this might provide value. Until you get to the point, you are just running around in circles. Because we already have more than enough assumptions to test. We don't need to think anymore about what might be the value. Now we need to go and test those. Does that make sense? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So in your mind, what would be the next step? And there's no right or wrong answer here. What would be the next step and what would be your um, to, to move forward and to pursue this? And what would the timeline you would want to have? Yeah, so so yes, there's the thing. Timeline, I'm not too concerned about right now. The next step, and so this is, uh, you know, I've, obviously I've been thinking for a while based on, um, based on, uh, you know, just. Well, I mean, I've just been thinking about this for a while about looking for someone to partner with who has a similar set of or similar knowledge and similar background, just so, you know. There are a lot of freelancers out there with their own client base, and I've got my own client base. Like, let's we have also a similar type of service. Let's, you know, partner and see what happens. Or let's do a pilot project first, partner, um, and you know, see what happens. Um, so that's something I've been thinking about. But I think based on this discussion today, <coughs> um, is 
I would like to specifically, con and what would help me is put together some sort of guide and come come up with like a vision for exactly what I want to do, and that vision will help me market myself exactly towards a specific niche. So, I mean, like in terms of a business plan, I'm not going to put something massive together, something just simple as a guide. So I have like. You know, when people, I do go out there and people approach me, I know exactly what I, what to say or exactly how to market myself. Market myself. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, yeah, it's a difficult question in terms of next steps. I, I still just want to carry on going out there with a specific, you know, instead of looking for opportunities with a specific service in mind saying, this is what I do. Um, or like go to like a specific networking event um, with my, you know, card and, you know, connecting with the right people, bringing them back to a session and say, this is what I do. These are my different retainer packages because ultimately I want to go from once off projects to retainer clients, high paying like retainer clients that are consistent. Awesome. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of like my thought process in terms of next steps. Like I'm still enjoying like the freelancing here and there, but the, in terms of formalizing, formalizing it into a proper business more is to go out with a specific marketing plan in mind that will reach my target markets. I got you. And so in terms of what we discussed here, obviously there's so many things that you can apply, apply still to a freelance basis. So, would you be interested in finding out from current people you're working with or other people in the industry if they value working with um, experts rather than just random PR companies or PR companies who don't necessarily cater to the and don't have the expertise required to really get the stuff and really portray the stuff? Yeah, like I suppose like a, a form of market research would be incredible. I think... And I, I've got a pretty good idea how to do that. So I could do that. Do you know, sitting with these people, connecting with these people, just to find out the exact need or what their pains are would be probably the best next step and then craft my service around that. Or I could just do it with a simple survey and send it out and be like, what are your communication needs? Like, what are your troubles? Like, who do you outsource your work? Is it in-house? So yeah, I've, I've also thought of like some form of market resource to kind of just inform my approach to getting out there and going and marketing myself, you know? Awesome. And how do you think that would help you to move towards your goals and your vision? Well, it would, I think in terms of like a demographic approach, it would help me like know where my market is. Um, it would help me to know who, like if communication is in-house or like, you know, if there's certain thing like um, communication needs that need to be approved, who are the decision makers? I need to speak directly to those people. Um, and, you know, whether the, the industry is actually being properly serviced by PI agencies. And if they're not, like if I, if it's a big, if I get through market research, a big fat, no, like this is, a, there's a huge gap. Then, you know, like that's, that's my opportunity right there to step in and go like, look, I'm not just another PR agency. I'm a specialist as well. Um, you know, if there is a gap, I mean, I'm yet to fill that gap. Hello. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. And then in terms of timeline, you were saying you don't, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like 
that would come through the way I market myself, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, and this is what's really cool is that this is so cross-functional. Like everything you can apply to yeah. being in a business, you can apply exactly to being a freelancer and enhancing your, your vision and enhancing talking about your niche. And niche isn't something exclusive to businesses. It's completely usable for freelancers as well. So when you, in your approach now, do you, you mentioned you don't have any set timelines, but let's say you were to do a survey or something like that and you know that getting these results in the survey would help you move forward in the exact thing you're trying to now, as in you know will help you get more customers as a freelancer, you know will help you pair with other people, which you mentioned wanting to do, um, because you will understand more about your market and therefore you understand more about which kind of partners you want to pair with because you understand their needs better than most people. When would you like to do something like this? Um... I want to do it this year still. Um, definitely this year. That's definitely on the card soon. And how long do you think that this would take to prepare this survey, for example? Oh, to prepare the survey, it's. I mean, like I do that on a daily basis, so it wouldn't take too long. I, I wouldn't anticipate that it would take longer than a week to actually put the survey together. Mm-hmm. Another story is go sending it in field and getting people to actually respond to it. That's I know that's always quite a mission, and I, like that's you know <clears throat> um, quite a difficult thing to put a time on because obviously, like when I do, I've done quite a lot of um, research in the past. It's quick to put a survey together, but to get people to answer it is another story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so and I, I know I know you've done surveys. I don't know if you've ever had the same experience. I mean. Yeah, I find, I mean, it's, it's true what you're saying in every industry is different. It's all about if you can find a concentrated group of people and how many of them. So if there are any groups with environmental people, run small agencies or contact lists that you have, and then it's all about what they get out of it if they complete it, as you know, you have experience in this. So do you think because understanding your market is so important, and we're speaking about before about how many in how many ways it's going to help you move forward and move faster. Do you think a survey is the best approach or is there something else you want to do? Or, I mean, basically in the next three months, let's say, what, what would you like to move forward in, in understanding your market, if anything at all? I think like, so this form of market research would be a two phase process. Like the survey kind of would be, would determine like, where is your ideal demographic group? You know, like, I mean, yeah, and it's kind of, almost kind of like a screening part of the research, you know, to find your exact target market or like where's your primary market. And then once you find your primary market, then you go and you sit down with them and then you ask those grilling questions, you know, like what are your pain points? So that like that's my, my thoughts around it is that the I would do the survey, find my exact demographic group and like my primary target market then go to my primary target market and extract as much information from them as possible. Awesome. And if you had to put a timeline on this, and I know I can hear already you're a bit averse to, to setting these timelines, but if you had to put one on this, what would you put? What, how would you spread these phases out? I think, I think the survey, I would, the actual phase one like survey, I would probably do that over the course of about a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so over two, all in all, over two months timeline, I would say is realistic. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. And Great. So I mean that, 
the survey wouldn't take me long to put together. It's the longest part would be actually getting people to respond. And then once I know the responses, then set up meetings and go there and actually like interview the decision makers and be like, what are your needs? Fantastic. And of course, when it comes to yeah. meetings and things, those can be done online or over the phone as well to, to yeah. help in different stages. But yeah. so basically you're saying if, if by the 1st of October, uh, you have spoken to a few people, that will be a great success. Yeah. Fantastic. And how many people would you like to have spoken to? Yeah, that's a difficult one. As as long as I have like a, a substantial, um, you know, amount of data to work with, and there's a trend that comes through. If there's like, if the answers that I get back are completely like all over the show, um, then it's it's difficult to extract some sort of value um, from it. But like, if I get back like a clear in your face trend of like this is this is what we need or this is happening like then that's that's will be enough for me to go ahead and you know start that specific business great um yeah fantastic and so this is the reason why i keep pushing this and keep pushing this moving in this direction because as you said, like the only reason we're having this conversation is because you want to start something and you want to move in another direction. You yeah. like the idea of owning your own business and things like that. And finding out this information, what people often do is they, they try live on the energy that with just this idea, but it is not enough. It's never, ever, ever going to be enough. And the difference between someone living in hibernation and trying to build an idea for six months while doing lots of other things never really arrives at the point in where they launch and where they get in and get scrappy and really feed off of the information and the results they're getting from their market and continue experimenting. Compare that to the people who find out something from the market as soon as possible, those people start g getting more and more and more energy as they go instead of the other way around. And that's why I push this because exactly what you said, this is never going to be anywhere near a perfect process, right? It's really, and everything no. about entrepreneurship is super dirty, super scrappy. Nothing's ever perfect. <laughs> it's never, ever clear, clear. But at the, at the moment you come across something where you see a trend or you see many people asking for something, when you see people saying they want to pay for something that you know you can offer, it, it will yeah. change everything. And I'm a productivity and time management expert, and that's what I do. And the biggest thing I tell people and the biggest difference that makes people with life is no technique in the world is going to revolutionize your productivity. It's all about are you excited and do you have enough energy and motivation towards going towards something that makes you want to get up in the morning and do it? And exactly what you're talking through, talking about now is that influence, is the thing that's going to make the difference. So that's super exciting. And if in two months you had had even one or two conversations with people, it's going to change everything because yeah, the that, market that's, is that's always go on. No, I, I can just imagine getting like that feedback that you know from someone like in like a like high level decision making position to say like, dude, we need we need this. Um, contact me when you got it up and running. Like that would like really like get me going. You know exactly, exactly, and that's the biggest thing. And working up <laughs> into that point can be tedious and can be difficult and can be hard and can be confusing. But when you get to that point, and if that happens, everything changes. And then on the flip side, if you keep talking to people and no one is interested over and over and over and over again, it's going to save you so much time and resources that you would have invested on something that wasn't going to work.
And the most beautiful thing about this is you will realize as you go, and I've been through this with my clients and myself so many times, that the coolest thing is that on this journey, whether they show clear patterns of what you thought or whether they prove your hypothesis or they disprove your hypothesis, you are going to learn so much other information and interesting things that you didn't realize at the beginning. Just by talking yeah. to these people in your fields, a whole new world opens up about this. And often what I talk to about software designers doing the same thing is they often talk to business owners about a software idea they have, someone working in AI or someone working in coding. And what they discover through this process is so many other problems that this business is facing that they can solve with their software skills. And it's exactly the same yeah. thing for anyone doing this need discovery, that the most important thing is you are an expert in this field and you're very interested in working to this field, but you don't need to be completely married to your idea because so many other potential opportunities are going to come up. And these are, I mean, this is at least four or five different reasons why I'm pushing for to hear a timeline, to hear on when you would actually start this because it's not easy to do this and it's kind of tedious. And it's great that you have experience already in surveys, but when none, no one's done it before, it's very tedious and can be very, it's difficult to motivate yourself to do this thing. But that's the trick. Yeah. The, the trick is that on the other side lies everything you dream of <laughs> and everything you want to do and everything you want to accomplish lies on the other side of that first step. And this is why I'm pushing you to it because it's very, very vital to to hold yourself accountable to be moving towards that first step. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Like I always find that putting a timeline timeline on something, um, I mean, I often, obviously, when it comes to like research, I do research for my full-time job and there's obviously always a timeline that we have to stick to. But like when there's a timeline, you, like, I mean, when I've always done kind of like a personal venture and putting a timeline to it, then it becomes like a real thing. Like I always hold myself accountable to it, as you said. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for all the information you shared. Really, really, really interesting. Dude, um, that was incredible. Awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. And, and that's the thing. Like I think with, you know, uh, and we, like, we've been – Mates for a long, long time, and I've pretty much shared all like my personal career developments and moves with you, and like business ideas. And I think like you know, I've I've always seen myself as like a business owner, and I've always had like the perception or the idea that there always has to be like a big business plan and mm -hmm. um, you know a lot of infrastructure and capital behind a bit starting a business. But it's actually like what I've figured out is just the best way sometimes is just to go out there and put yourself out there and, you know, like determine if there's a need, you know, like need analysis as we've been discussing. So 100%. it's quite nice to have this different approach and be on this track rather than, you know, trying to figure out the infrastructure and business plan, funding and all that type of stuff. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay. So there's lots to do. Um, really, yeah. really exciting. And so in terms of, the, I mean, I would love to follow up in two months' time when the survey comes, but also there's been so many other things that have come up here, like about um, the freelancing work that you're currently doing. Uh, we haven't even touched on the time management and how everything's working. So if you want, I would also love to do maybe even like a bi-weekly chat in when while working towards this bigger goal, we can also talk about what's the best way to brand yourself as a freelancer. What's the best way to get new clients? Um, no, that's something that's very important and something I was thinking about while you were talking is 
uh, how do you make sure that with the clients you're currently working on, you're building testimonials, you're building success stories of your clients, you're tracking the improvements you're making, and all of this stuff will build hugely towards the um, creating an agency and a business in the future. So I would love to talk about those too. Yeah, that, that sounds like it's yeah, a whole other interesting discussion right there. I think there's, in terms of entrepreneurship and freelancing and starting a business, there's so many different things and considerations to Correct. to talk about. Yes, So absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm keen to chat again, have episode two coming up. <laughs> I can't wait. Let's do it, dude. Amazing. Cool. I think this put in pretty well. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> This is awesome. It's really, really, really cool chatting. Okay, rad, dude. So, yeah, thanks so much for your time, dude. Likewise, thank and you. Three, two, one, and that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>